to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. And it's me, DM Dave, the rock and roll DM. Um, so, before we begin this episode, uh, since this is our first one back, and before we introduce all our guests, I wanted to take a ex- uh, second and express our heartfelt thank you to all of you listening right now, to this community that has sprung up around this thing we have called Three Wise DMs. Tony and I weren't sure what we were going to do with the podcast after Thorin died last year, but the absolutely humbling outpouring of grief, condolences, the donation in Thorin's honor, and the many wishes that Three Wise DMs continued on was beyond touching. So we're still trying to figure out what that's going to look like. Uh, we're not, we're going to be releasing episodes regularly, but maybe not as regularly as we used to. Uh, it's going to take quite a while to fill the hole that Thorne's absence creates. But we're trying. It's for that reason that our friend is going to continue, as he just did, introducing us each episode. Also in that respect, we've decided that today's episode requires seven people to handle that job. As a companion piece to episodes 75 and 76, We're doing our absolutely, we promise, this is totally the ending, there's nothing more to see here, wrap up of our Curse of Strahd campaign, which is surprising since we kind of started Curse of Strahd immediately upon starting the podcast. So here we go. So without further ado, welcome back. Yeah. Finally what I know. Black, wow. So obviously A-C-D-C. I'm gonna I'm that is ACDC. Yes. Thank you. I'm gonna explain why. Uh that's the dovetail to this episode because one, we're back, back in black, and uh we are actually going back to black uh because we're gonna be talking about the terrible otherworldly entity known as Vampire and the absolute final finale episode of Curse of Strahd. So, with that said, Tony, we already know who you played, but if you wanted to go over that again in our Curse of Strahd. Yes, I played the very thinly veiled uh, version of Hawk, who was in no way directly linked to Hulk Hogan. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was really subtle. You had to really be looking into it hard to see the similarities. Absolutely. And that was only for the first half of the campaign, because the second half, he was a thinly veiled impersonation of He-Man. But <laughs> yes, he multi-classed. I digress. Uh, we also have here a return guest to the Curse of Stroud campaign, uh, Chris. Hey, Chris. I played uh, Sir Alred Scar, the uh, Oath of Vengeance paladin, who uh, eventually took ownership of Argonvost Holt and the uh, newly formed Order of the Silver Dragon. Ooh, yeah, baby. Bonnie, this yeah. is also a return guest to our Curse of Strahd campaign. I mean, do I really need introductions yes. at this point? Yes, do it. So I'm Bonnie, uh, a.k.a. Little One, and she did so many shenanigans that you all have heard about and will continue to hear about as she will never die. <laughs> she lives on in all multiverses. Let's go actually over to 
from the very beginning. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to join us for the uh, players wrap up of Curse of Strahd. But Beth, our resident cleric. Hi, I'm Beth and I was a Telfling cleric. My name was Fenris and my divine dominion was the grave dominion, which is uh, the, the Samantha's guide to everything. Yeah, absolutely. The Grave Cleric, which is was a super cool class to play with, uh, especially with some of the spells you started to take from the supplement materials as well, which we might get into. Next up, let's talk to Scott here, which you've heard from our wrap ups in, uh, you know, Woodstock Wanderers. You heard of his exploits and that as both Hasbin and Adelard the Bard. Uh, but Scott, how did you join in on this? Well, you had uh, asked me if I'd be willing to help out with the uh, the big finale by uh, running the monsters, uh, or at least some of the monsters, and I thought that would be fun. I hadn't been had any involvement in the campaign up to this point, but I readily agreed to that. But then sort of at the last minute, things got switched around where um, Matt was going to take over the monsters. And I was asked to run a pair of uh, high-powered NPCs that, who would be helping the party out, the, the Summer Knight and the Winter Knight, who are like real high level, far, high, far higher level than anything I've ever run before. But it seemed like it would be fun. So I said, sure. And, uh, and so I joined in, for, I guess, for not, not just the last uh, session, but the next to last session as well. Yeah, the penultimate one, too, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that kind of leads into our uh, our final guest for today's huge blowout, Matt, who you guys have heard of, but now you actually get to hear of. So, Matt, what were you playing? How were you in? Yep. So I'm Matt. And, uh, well, Dave had requested that I come in and be a monster wrangler uh, and help out just because. Official title. <laughs> well, I, I totally lifted Monster Wrangler from Matt Colville, uh, but it's a great tool. So, Matt, please come in and run some of the monsters just to kind of take some of the pressure off, you know, I guess the, the number of players and number of things that were going on. And for me, that was uh, definitely pretty cool because being a younger player myself, uh, not a lot of experience with the game, playing NPCs on that side um, was a wildly different perspective so thank you no yeah so i mean going into that because i think that's a great piece right there that i think is really really actionable for everyone out there because i had you come in originally during our dinner with the devil session where we all had the big dinner party we have the article up on the website uh we talk about it in our wrap-ups but you came in as rahadeen and escher uh the vampire consort uh originally and then you came back again monster wrangling for this huge epic finale running some serious monsters. So like, what was your, how did you, how did you kind of run that? How did you, cause I kind of gave you, just said, these are the people, what do you want to do? Uh, I was thinking about that coming up to this. And I think the biggest difference that I could pick out was just what I can think of as how a DM would run it. You have a little bit of, you have a different take on how you, how you want the, you know, the campaign to run and you don't necessarily want to just TPK everyone. Uh, whereas I'm coming in on a player side <clears throat> and I really want to hit every time and I want to <laughs> do maximum damage, you know? Um, so I think in that regard, that's a big shift. And then just playing the different side, you're now not 
on the good side, you are on the bad side. And that is uh, fun in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. Tony, what were your thoughts on that? As a as a kind of fellow yeah, DM and, I, and, and having having experienced this kind of NPC, but as a player. It's kind of like, I, as I said before, where you're playing without a net because now you have a monster wrangler. And as a DM, I can't even tell you how many times I've pulled back in my head. Like, I'm like, wow, that last encounter, like, shit the bed. Yeah. Maybe I should do this next even more ridiculous encounter. And you have this guy who's a monster wrangler and he's using five rounds. Yeah, absolutely. I remember Thor talking about that at one point, too. He made the point, like, he's running them like player would. He's not running them like a DM where you're just kind of, I'm going to run them into the heroes a little bit. I'm going to do these. You know, I'm going to make it hard. Softer strategy. A little bit sometimes, right? At least the way we play it, right? Oh, oh no. The wizard's got three hit points. I'm going at him. Full multi-attack. I say, like, Dave, from a DM perspective, though, like, does it? And there was like in that finale battle, there was a lot of creatures, a lot of different sort of scenes along the way. Does it help to have someone like I get lost often in combat sometimes, especially as you start to include more and more people and then there's more people show up and whatnot. Does it help? I mean, or is it to their point? Is it like you have to be careful because you just given somebody the keys to the Cadillac? Oh, rounds. Go, they're going to go tearing it around town. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, absolutely. I think because the way I when I used it was uh, the dinner with the devil, which was going to be massive because I had to role play Strahd, which was, you know, he's easily the most iconic villain in in D&D. Right. And also no, I had to figure out what we're going to do in the castle. And I had a lot of things going on in the background. So. Having Matt come in as Rahadeen and Escher gave them more weight, I think, than I could have. I would have played them very, okay, they're going to hit you with their sword. Okay, back to what Strahd is trying to do, right? For the epic final battle with Vampyr and Xantris, the Kingmaker, and Sariash, the Hellhound Whisperer, and Vaughn, the Evasive, all out there, plus the Bailwing, my weird eldritch... Uh, horror thing that the rock had been transported into. Not Dwayne Johnson, but the actual huge, gigantic condor bird. He wasn't available. I couldn't have possibly run all of that and done it justice for for what we had in, in the in the epic finale. So, so why don't we go into that? Like with this epic, like like describe it out. What were your guys' thoughts on what you walked into? Let's just start over here. Let's go with Bond first. What were your thoughts as you walked in? Because none of you, outside of Scott. And Matt knew anything of what was about to happen. Well, knowing Scott and seeing what he has done for just the minis, Mm -hmm. um, especially with what I tend to kind of come up with in my mind, which is in some ways sort of crazy artistic. Right, right, um, right. It's impressive. So when you said he was building the final (laughs) scene, I wasn't expecting what he ended up coming with. But at the same Neither time, Neither was I. <laughs> I I expected him to shock us, which is what he did. When I came downstairs after it was all set up, I was like, "Holy crap, this yeah. is on." And you guys can see uh we had posted some of the pics uh from that that last game uh with some of the terrain. And we're we're going to delve into that deeper in some later episodes uh with Scott too, but I mean, we, that's kind of the big that was the big uh it was amazing. The big explosion. So why don't we go to the man himself next? Scott, I mean, you know, you already knew what was going on, but what was your what was your take on how that went down? I mean, as far as the terrain goes? 
Yeah, and how that kind of played out, how it, it you know, kind of helped or didn't help the, I mean, it, it didn't well, help, it totally helped the final. Yeah, well, well, the, those of you who've looked at the pictures, you, you saw that the, the the terrain set up for this final confrontation was a fair, was a large, large terrain piece. And it started with this mountain pass leading up to the gate and then th- through a gate and then across a bridge and then finally up to the Amber Temple. And you know, Dave had supplied me with, uh, you know, some some uh, ideas as to what it was supposed to look like, some some images he had, and and a, and a general map, and uh, and so you know, building it, I had to, you know, look from the practicality: can can people actually get close enough to move their figures around? Are the figures going to stand up, or are they going to fall off? Uh, and and then you know, I. Court, you know, talked with Dave a good bit, saying, "Well, gee, I'm I'm going to all this effort to build this thing. What what's preventing the characters from just teleporting from the starting location to the to the very end and skipping everything <laughs> in between?" A very uh, real concern. <laughs> that was a little concerning, but uh, but uh, you know, we worked some things out regarding that, and and so it, it looked as though we would set up a very you know interesting sequence of you know, encounters within the encounter as, as the characters fought their way from the beginning all the way through across the bridge into the end. And, uh, you know, that, that was obviously what we were trying to come up with, something that would be very challenging and entertaining and, and awesome, you know, from start to finish. And, and uh, as it turned out, I think I think we, we, we succeeded. So how about player uh, continuum player wise, like uh, Chris, Beth, Tony, your guys thoughts on like, because I kind of led you all in and had you not see it. I led you in, but, you know, eyes closed and then brought you in front of it to open up to see this this final encounter to a really long running campaign that had some really big moments. No, I mean, it was crazy. And you did like you kind of covered my eyes in from the door and brought us in there to see it. And it was I mean. We've been playing D&D for, like, we started in, like, Biscavage's basement, right, and, like, stuff like that, and we yeah. played Roll20 and all kinds of stuff, and that one was the first time I legitimately felt sort of like a professional D&D player or something like that. Like, there was a part where the bridge was, and you can see in some of the pictures where there's, I guess, cotton and whatever, you know, it's underneath it, but, like, you're on the bridge and you're looking down there, and it looks like it's a bridge over this endless sort of cloudy chasm. Oh, like it was... Uh, it was really something different. Like it was, it made it a incredibly memorable experience. Yeah. Tone. So I wish I could have told my nerdy self, you know, back when I was picking up the red box, that one day I would like, you know, as a child, I would get to play at a table like this all these years in the future because I would have been pretty freaking stunned by that news. Yeah, it was amazing. I want this too hard on it because we are going to go into or terrain later, but. Uh, I looked at it, I'm like, wow, this is truly amazing. And then I'm like, I better go sh- look at my character sheet because I'm going to need everything. Absolutely everything. Digging but deep. Yeah, right. great, great. Okay, let go read. Beth, so you're definitely one of the newer players to uh, D&D in the group. And you've seen, you know, battle maps and minis and stuff before. And we've played with that in some of the family games that we've talked about on the cast and stuff. But, like, this was your first time probably seeing like that type of level of terrain, like what did you take from that? What were your thoughts on that? I absolutely loved it because I'm a big visual person and especially as a newer player and a particular battle could last three or four rounds in one section. 
uh, like when the monsters were going on top of the bridge, you know, three turns later, we, is the guy still up there? Like it helps you remember where everything is when you do it. Like no, that. absolutely, absolutely. We talked about that a lot. The, the difference between theater of the mind and having, you know, your normal old battle mats out, and then something like this that has three dimensions to it as well. Yeah. Okay. So let's go around the table then. Now, Scott, you had an idea at least what uh, we were walking into. Like this was your playset. But what did that feel like from a player perspective, though? Like, hey, I built these custom figs, I built the terrain, and now I'm squaring off against this. Well, you know, I, I hadn't really had any contact or direct involvement with the campaign. I, I certainly heard you guys talking about it a lot. I was listening to the podcast, of course. So, you know, I came, I came into it, um, you know, not really with any pre- preconceived notions, uh, I, I had to assume, well, uh, you know, I, I, I knew the the lineup of the bad guys because, uh, you know, David given it to me so I could make up the figures for it. Um, with that, too, Scott, you had said, like, I was like, now, don't try not to metagame because and you're like, I don't even know what I was looking at when you sent me the stats for these guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, so it was a surprise. That's great. It, it, it was uh, it, it was pretty uh, daunting. I mean, you know, I, I w- had experience with you know lower lower level campaigns, and I was thinking, well, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not trying to beat fight these guys. But uh, but honestly, I, uh, I I didn't know. You know, you ha- you hadn't told me anything at all about you know, the, the sequence of the encounters, um, I, I knew w- what the, the lineup was on the other side, but I had no idea, you know, if you're going to th- throw them at the characters one at a time or two at a time or all at once or, or, or how it was going to work. So, you know, I was in a bit of suspense there and, and uh, you know, I had my two NPCs that I was uh, in charge of and just figured, well, you know, they'll bash anything they can get get close to and we'll we'll see how it goes from there. because in the uh, previous encounter you had been in we really had done the the game before that we stopped the opponents they showed up at scars keep and we just laid them out so we're calling oh my god oh my god that was horrific you stop (laughs) it oh you stopped them don't mess with my house yeah yeah no lord did not appreciate that but uh, yeah, this immediately had a completely different vibe. The first battle, uh, Dave dropped what statistically felt like a Baylor and his friends. So that had to be like a CR 20, you know, six encounter. Like, honestly, it was, it was heavy. They yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The thing that surprised me the most, tell you the truth, out of all of that was I was imminently concerned and i'll probably send out like the stats that i use for these they were the dark powers in essence uh and then i had as we've talked about i kind of took some of what lunch break heroes uh on youtube does with vampire to kind of create this this larger arc uh past strad and i just i i kind of hot rotted it from there so i'll probably send those stats up so I was completely ready to have a mechanic in there where I was going to long rest you guys instantaneously before the battle with Vampire. And it was going to play into you guys had just been in the Fae Court. You had gotten the uh, you had gone to the Court of Stars. You had gotten the favor of Morwell, the Aladrin Queen. 
you know, and she was going to come. She was going to do the Galadriel thing to Scar, literally. I was going to be like, in the darkest nights, all that, right? Yes. And spoiler alert, that never happened. So this group, level 17, I think, right? Were you guys level 17? Mowed through over 2,000 hit points of villains without a short or long rest. So I think if we're you guys want to jump in 17. on what... The, if you guys want to jump in on what that felt like, I know what it feels like on the DM side. Um, what did it feel like on the player's side in that way? Why don't we start over with Beth, um, your thoughts, because like I, this was probably one of the biggest uh, knockdown drag outs, high level play things that you've done. So like, what did it feel like on your end as a player? Uh, you know, me knowing that you guys are mowing through these guys. Right. But you, what did it feel like on the, on the other side of the screen? As a new player, I always want to help cause damage first and then as a cleric, then be the cleric and help you guys because I just, you know, that that's that's me. But um, some clerics like the punch. (laughs) This Mm. time um, it was it was tough. I died a couple of times and we could you guys had to keep me alive so I can, you know, help you guys. Oh, no, that's so true. You actually stayed yeah. down for like three rounds straight and yeah. no, everyone was just fighting over your corpse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was she wasn't weird. dead. <laughs> it was mostly dead. Yeah, yeah no, you have to. <laughs> Ron, how about you? Like, what did it feel like on the player's side? Uh, like I said, so many times the DM, when you're behind the screen, you're seeing where the hit points are. You're seeing where the villains really are. You're gauging what the players still have in in the chamber. Mm-hmm. So the tension is not the same on that side. But on the other side, that psychology of the screen really changes stuff. So what did it feel like as you guys were fighting up the, in essence, pagoda of the Ember Temple? Well, for me, it's, it's a couple different thoughts because I didn't know what the hit points were. Sure, I obviously sure. knew there was legendary actions and things like that because when you think you did a good job, it didn't work kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, on the DM side, I know that these things can be very powerful. Um, but as a player, I, it's a little different for me to answer that because as a player who's truly in character, especially little one, I'm oblivious to what's happening. I'm just trying to keep cuteness safe and allow <laughs> cuteness to do something that won't cause her to die since we see what happens when she dies. As well as like trying to hit, but then also trying to support. So for my side, it, it felt a little crazy and chaotic yeah. because every time like I would send cuteness to go give somebody something healing, I was like, just don't die. And then I'm focused more on that. So in some ways for me, um, I was just being me. So I have kind of like no idea what was happening ultimately. I just know there was stuff happening everywhere and i kept seeing my bff hawk trying to get to the guy on the mountain and the guy on the mountain kept moving from him so yeah. like he never <laughs> would make it yeah absolutely. like a punch he did um, <laughs> no absolutely that was uh or actually tony uh give me a sense here because like we have talked so much about this campaign and and about dming and all this on the cast like coming from that and also having done a good chunk of high level play because this is really some of the first high-level play we've done in 5e up to this point. We had done some in Woodstock and now uh, Strahd. We just hadn't reached that level of, of high-level, like, final tier stuff. So in that way, coming as as an experienced DM, but also being on the other side of the of the screen, what was it 
what did it feel like in terms of like the encounter building itself, the final uh, culmination? So uh, it felt very satisfying. Uh, we didn't just blow through a sequence of meaningless encounters to get to Vampire. We just didn't do that whole meat grinder. Every one of them was an individual challenge where we had to face off against these opponents who were kind of unknown. Actually, vastly unknown. They were the, the dark powers. They were all very uh, prominent uh, spirits. They could really throw a fist. They had a wide amount of abilities. And then after fighting what, full, a full three rounds of that, we got the Vampire, who was, you know, the big show. He was the main event. And he did not disappoint. Yeah. So it felt like there was, like, it uh, It felt like a proper tense culmination, like you really felt like you had to dig deep and that was a, a, a satisfying conclusion to this? Yeah, it didn't feel like we were just chopping through these. We were, there was a sense of tension where we had to cut through these guys. So we weren't, like, basically pulling up to the Amber Temple on life support. <laughs> that is not the scenario I wanted. I'm like, hey, so, hey brother, can somebody hand me my rib? I'm going to need this for this battle. Like, it was, I, that's not what I wanted. Absolutely. And that was the thing, like I kept saying, too, like this was such a classic adventure and we did such a great job with it. This team like of creating a really great story that and we had had the confrontation with Strahd and the whole Castle Raven. Oh, my God. this, And then it's like, okay, where do you go from there? So to try to build that out, I was just I wanted it to be enough. Right. And it sounded like it was generally. But, Chris, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, number one, how it actually lends itself from the initial campaign, right? Like we did Strahd, but during Strahd, the seeds were planted and you were looking for opportunities to kind of have this be the culmination of it. And you'd actually busted out Vampire earlier on. I think we were probably like 12th or 13th level or something and basically just did the big bad thing where he shows up and just basically kicks our ass and then luckily, like, takes off and leaves us alive there, right? So yeah. going into it, right, like, I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, we're going to have to, like, so we better hit Vampire quick. And it's slowly, right, and it keeps on adding other guys. And you had the teleportation bit, which adds, a like, at certain points, it makes you really angry as a player, but it adds such a level with the terrain and everything. I mean, you literally knocked down everybody. I, I texted you after the game. You knocked down everybody in the party at least once during that battle, but yet we never long rested. I mean, I remember, I think the first one down was uh, Fenris, right? And I'm like, oh my God, the cleric went down. Like, like we need healing, right? It was, uh, it was yeah, very that's tense awful. and well staged. Like it kept moving and it never, you never really got a good rest there. Like it just moved on and on through the different areas there. It was uh, really well done. Like as a DM, it's tough to make effective encounters especially like that but the way that you stacked monsters and you couldn't really metagame about around a lot of them i didn't know about any of these things it's not like you're fighting a bunch of uh like dragons or something they're like these unknown sort of dark powers and and vampire himself so i was happy though i will say like you did say that i knocked down everybody the one thing i finally was is after 17 levels i finally dropped <laughs> off Yes, that right there. With an intelligence of three, I think you then had, or one or something, right? I got a like a devour mind thing, and I just took it was like an intelligence drain, and he just dropped onto his ass. I I felt pretty. Yeah, you hit the steel chair in my brain. Yeah, that was ugly. 
Roll 3d6. All right, I rolled pretty high. Great, that's how many intelligence points I lose. I'm like, great, well, I'm down, drooling. That that, that was ugly. So, um... Uh, I want to say, Sir yeah. Scar, you got the killing blow. How did it feel? It was really cool. At the same time, it was really weird. Like, I'm like, uh, you feel a little bit out in front, and you're like, well, all right, this is the final blow here. This is the end of the thing. But, I mean, it was awesome. It was vampire. Like, I... It's, after that first uh, encounter with him, I figured he's like CR 35 or something like that. Like it was like, right. Like we jumped up on him and it was like, I was vomiting like worms and stuff for like the rest of the day there. Right. So like it was, uh, it was really cool. I don't know. It was such a great campaign. Like I, I think we probably talked about it when we did the rap the first time, but the mix role play, the mix were, I had like a character arc and we actually continued and finished the character arcs there with Hawk and Scar and, um, and, you know, and Thorne's character and everybody like it was a, um, it was everything you would want out of a long-term epic campaign, especially with a super high level uh, finale with terrain and like a crazy battle with uh, monsters from beyond. So just so we know that I'm not going to just take all these like kudos, but thank you. This is awesome. <laughs> but I want to actually throw a question out on that point, Chris, because that was a big thing was uh, there was a lot of story and a lot of character development through the whole campaign that I started to plant seeds in in the very first two sessions. Uh, the seeds were already being planted for where we were going. And we've talked about that a lot. But my one of my regrets for this is I kind of brought everyone full circle except Fenris. And I, I could not, I could not find a place to put where I saw Fenris's character going, um, which I had planted some things, and we made the the joke about the baby Walter thing and all of this. But there was like a whole big story that came out of that. That unfortunately now you guys, I just gave you a bunch of lore about it and what happened, and you're like, all right, well we got to go fight fucking vampires. So. Too bad, Beth. Keep going, right? <laughs> so, Beth, in that way, like, everyone had this, this like, big story arc that felt, I, I felt like it kind of felt complete, except yours. So, as a player, like, is that something that you kind of, like, ah, that sucked in terms of that? Like, how did that feel as a player? Did it feel like you were missing out what some of the other players were getting? No, not really, because not knowing when. But it, it was kind of depressing not knowing what happened to baby Walter. Like, oh. I had to keep asking about it. And, right. And, and especially when made little one forget about ba yeah, ba baby, baby Walter. Walter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a whole point where she sold memories at the <laughs> yeah, goblin market. Goblin market. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was unfortunate because I, I had dropped out. And I was – so that's a good question, too, about lore with this type of stuff. When you're getting closer to high-level play and there are certain things – that I was building out that you were not going to be able to get to at level 15, 16. You, if you went there, you're going to die, right? It's just, it's not going to feel satisfying. So like with the Fenris, with her character arc, I literally saw it like this was super high level stuff because, uh, you know, again, spoiler alerts, I had kind of dropped this out, but baby Walter's soul was now kind of under the auspice of Asmodeus in the nine hells, uh, because of issues being the soul of the morning Lord, which uh, I can get into for people, but it, it was a whole thing, but that's high level play. You're, you're dropping down into fight literally the devil himself. So I couldn't drop it on you on like 13th level. Right. Right. Uh, 
but uh, so it didn't feel like incomplete in that way. No, I, no, I, I, I knew it was like a storyline, but then when we all decided to go the path that we did, I was like, all right, you know, we got to so. do this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how about the rest of you guys? Like in terms of like, I, I was trying to, and we've talked about lore dumps and how they can be, they can be their own worst enemy. Like I was starting to try to drop that out. So at least there was the understanding of where that story was leading. Did that stuff come through at all in your minds? Sometimes. Yeah. For me, sometimes. But also for me, the way that I play, I'm not necessarily one that's like front and center where I will take the lore or story. Take the initiative on it. Sit through. Right. So some of the more, uh, uh, stronger, I don't want to say stronger players because I feel like I'm a strong player, but um, stronger in-game personalities mm-hmm. uh, probably picked up on that a lot more. Where I focused on little things like Baby Walter until I forgot, um, or even that Fenris wanted to marry people that we never did. Right. You know, like <laughs> so, like the little fun, quirky <laughs> storylines. I think I pick up more than what a, everybody else picks up on. That's a good point, because with this adventure, like it did not really lend itself maybe earlier on. But like Barovia, by its very nature, doesn't allow for some of that kind of uh, like we were just talking about this last night at the uh, the Dragonlance game. That le- kind of level level of whimsical D&D stuff that you get to have in towns and villages and with weird people like one Barovia didn't lend itself to it. And then when you're going high level play and you're fighting against these like titanic things. It doesn't really lend itself to it either. So that was I, I feel like that might have been a shortcoming of just the overall setting. What do you guys think? Is that like in terms of just some settings are just not they don't fit with certain types of play, obviously. I mean, as as simple as that sounds, as logical as that sounds. I mean, it, I mean, Strahd, it's obviously a gothic sort of thing. It has that flavor to it, so it doesn't lend itself to whimsy, but they have plenty of uh, published adventures that have much more of a whimsical kind of edge to it sure. Sure. and stuff like that. It's, uh, you know, you can always bake it in a little bit, but it's a little weird in, in vampires and stuff like that. Like, you know, vampires and there was a Frankenstein guy and a mummy guy in there. That's a little tough. Oh, yeah. A little I tough whimsy. No, I can still It's like that, yes. Yeah, like Laurel and Hardy meet the yeah. Uh, it was the Universal monsters. Like I wanted to play with all of them, you know. So, but yeah, but sometimes it's nice to have something that's gra- that grounds you because you can't have back to back dramatic scenes. Like this is terrifying. And this is horrifying because it, it you can't maintain that intensity. Absolutely. But you, you know, we talked a lot about with the uh, the adventure and how, like Chris, you were making the point that like seeds had been planted that built into this kind of end game run. But that was kind of the point is that Strahd and most of the published adventures out there, uh, I mean, pretty much any of them. I think the only thing that will take you further is um, like the rise of Tiamat, like the dragon, tyranny of dragons, uh, dual adventure. Um, nothing else takes you. It takes you 10th, 11th level, you know, maybe 12th or 13th, depending on how you're running it. Right. But it kind of stops you right there. And then everyone kind of goes, well, now what? What were your guys thoughts? Good, bad about how we took a published adventure and built a whole end game run. Did it feel like it fit? Did it not? Would there have been things you would have liked to see different? Uh, but anything for like people listening that maybe want to turn this stuff into a larger arc, 
like what works and what doesn't what what stood out to you in that way i mean i'm going to say the one thing it's like uh a lot of times like first through 12th is like those first couple books right and it's like your big main adventure but then that whole high level thing became a lot of the end of the hero's journey where you're this newly empowered high level character and you're going back and completing a story arc or going to find this incredible magic item or facing the big bad, obviously at the end, but it's a good kind of place at like the end of the hero's journey. Now you're this, you've gone and you've been transformed by adventuring out through this whole adventure. And now you're this, you know, you can finally do all the things that you wanted to do when you were a lower level character and kind of complete a lot of what you would at the end of your sort of hero's journey. So. Mm. Tony, what do you think with that? Honestly- how we how we translate it over because most of the other stuff we've done storm kings we kind of ended with the adventure right it, it, you had ideas for how to push it back but this you know the, the 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 group didn't continue on and with woodstock it was completely homebrewed from the very beginning so you know there is nothing to continue except the story right so plenty of satisfying games don't wrap everything up by the completion of the main arc like if you look at like the God of War series, you hit like what is your point, and there's these other threads which are important, but that gives you kind of so, that leads you into that what else. So I don't necessarily think by not completing that for Fenris it's a failure. It just kind of left something that if we were to come back to these characters, what we can do next. Yeah. As far as how it, it felt to take the published material and move on for it, well, so we did the classic Barovian crawl for 11 levels. So, you know, we went through the low magic. We scraped around the towns. We fought werewolves with silver weapons. You know, we grinded that out. And at that point, I think you did the right thing. You kind of took a step back, kept the theme and said, guys, what do you want to do now? And that's how the flavor of that game evolved. Mm, uh, What you were saying? I was just going to say, for a player perspective, if you're not metagaming, then you don't know necessarily where the story arc is supposed to go to versus being more creative and whimsical about where the storyline can be or will end with. Mm, So as someone who does more DMing where it's just I'm making stuff up since I work with more kids than anything, like I don't necessarily follow the book to the T. I use it as more of like a guideline. Yeah. So as a player who definitely tries not to metagame, you know, um, I would never even realize that you were you made all that up or you created some things. And I know even in the past when Thorin was just making stuff up about something, mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, you just made that up. Like, I would <laughs> never have known, you know. Well, that's I mean, one of the one of the drawbacks is obviously if you're playing Curse of Strahd, like if you kill him, the end. Right. But, yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that. I want to hear from Beth, though, because. I want to say this is probably the first published adventure that you've been run through, Beth, because everything else that we play with the family and stuff has all been uh, very homebrew, whether it's Jake's homebrew, mine, Frank's, whatever, right? Um, right. So having played through, obviously, a, one of the most classic adventures that was updated for 5e, The Curse of Strahd, and then kind of this final endgame run where your individual stories and where you guys had taken that kind of ballooned out into where it where it it created the path for where the end game stuff with the high level was going to be what did it feel did it feel different between like immersion style or uh you know the togetherness of the adventure or how real the world felt 
pre and post the published stuff. Does that, if that makes sense? It, it definitely makes sense. I um, actually could not tell where it stopped and started. It, I felt it blended very well together. Um, I, yeah, I'm on roll 20. I missed the, the maps because I'm a big visual person, you know, so, sure. but other than that, you know, I, I felt like it went great. Like uh, I couldn't tell. And, and it makes you wonder, I, as a player was excited because we did get to the levels we got. I mean, no one gets to level nine spells. Like when, when do you get them? Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Because it's hard to get, as we've seen, it's hard to get. Even when you're a uh, milestone level and up, okay, well, now you're 15th, now you're 16th. All right, one session, you're 17th. I got to get you there. Even with that, we were 30 some sessions in, 35, 36, 37 sessions in to, to complete this out. But, and I want to get back to, uh, to some of our, uh, our other, our other guests here. Uh, but, um, for Chris and Tony, too, being the players and Bond as well, uh, that same question, like if someone is running published adventures and then deciding to homebrew out, like what did you think worked the best out of that, too? Did it feel I mean, you kind of already said it felt seamless between the two. Like, obviously, this is just the, this would is what would happen in the adventure in a way. Uh, but for Chris and Tone, like same thing. The level of immersion, the level of realness and solidity to the story. What were your thoughts on that? Did it feel that way? Well, I mean, I would say like I think like a lot like we talked about, like living in the world is that once you've gotten to 12th level there, it's Barovia had a, a, a substance to it. We'd been to the towns. We knew the people. There was a face on people. You knew who was in Velaki and these other places. So. You could play that. And then we started to branch out into the Feywild, but they all had a element of us living in it. So I thought it was uh, very immersive in that way is that, you know, like you, as I, I think, you know, you get to 12th level. You don't necessarily have to go off crazy there. You can continue to build on what you had like you did there. And it was, uh, you know, because we never really we never really left Barovi. We were constantly coming back. Right. Like, I mean, we're mm. going Hole to Yester Hill to you know all the different things there so the finale itself you know so I think in that way it's uh you created a, a, the, the module itself and all of your work created an awesome world and it helped us to live in it in a way that was very immersive long answer so yeah. with with the expectation surrounding the published material uh one of the nicest things the I think Dave had with this is that he built a really solid foundation where, you know, the towns had a real feel to it. There was some we could really explore these places really as little or as much as we wanted to. And that we go to Barovia, you're expecting things. And I think you hit you hit the check boxes with that, you know, the gothic horror, the 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 the, the nightmarish aspect aspects, the 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 horrifying encounters in the middle of the night, all of that stuff. It wasn't flavored incorrectly. And so when we hit the what do you want to do next? Yeah, you had a lot of room to work and you kind of had a really good feel of what everybody else wanted to do even before we started doing it. Um, kind of in, in somewhat in that vein, I want to say I want to ask I want to see from uh, Scott and Matt in a way uh, a little more Scott because he was actually running as a player in the final thing. Matt, you were more the monster wrangler, but 
what your experience was. Because I remember, Scott, you had said, because uh, and you guys will be hearing more about this because we have started uh, our new Dragonlands campaign, the Shadow of the Dragon Queen, that Scott is now a part of, uh, which is great. But, Scott, you had said when you came in, you, you were in the penultimate session and then you were in the finale episode as the Summer and Winter Nights. So you were playing NPCs, but you were a player character and you invested them with uh, a, uh, a ridiculous personality that I would never have thought of uh, as my own thing, but that's what's so fun about it. But having played in those two sessions, you were like, I want to be in your next campaign. Like, what types of things were you seeing in that short time that said, oh, because it was such a short, like, everyone else had been in the campaign for two years. But you saw this and said, Oh, there's something here that that I that I like. Uh, what what like what did you like in terms of how the game ran or anything, and what didn't you like in that way? Having stepped in super high level and for two games, right? Like a high overview of that. That makes sense. Uh, well, of course, uh, you know, I, I was playing mostly with people that I had already played with in the Woodstock campaign. Uh, Sure. For the most part. Um, And uh, I mean, I I like your DMing style. Um, You know, you you really get get into it very deeply and, you know, uh, with the voices and descriptions (laughs) and and, and all of that. And and, and yet you, you know, you let the, the players do their thing, but you keep keep them on track so that, you know, we don't go wandering off in, in digressions and, and, uh, you know, that, that impressed me quite a lot. And, uh, you know, and obviously I had fun, as you say, I, 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 you know, was running these two characters and I decided I, I didn't, didn't want them just, just to be, you know, soulless automatons with swords that, that were just out there to, you know, inflict damage and, and take damage. So, you know, I gave them some personality and, uh, and you let me run with that, which, you know, I liked, I mean, you, you didn't say, you know, no, Scott, don't, don't do that. Just, just go out there and fight. And, and, uh, so, you know, I, I made them brother brothers who were constantly, you know, trying to each one, trying to outdo the other one, sort of a Gimli and Legolas kind of rivalry you, you had there. And, and, you know, I had fun doing that and you let me do it. And, and that, uh, uh, that made it a lot of fun for me. That's what was so funny about it is that, uh, my idea, and I, I kind of tried to get, get this out, um, my idea of the Feywild has always been uh, from the Jim Butcher series, the Dresden Files. I think his Feywild is such a great uh, immersive thing. So I really built it out. And the Summer and Winter Night are these like mantles of power that are like these very serious things. So I had this concept that they're like these serious you know, beings. And when you brought in this, they're these twins and they are always kind of they still have a sibling rivalry. It just it. To tell you the truth, I feel like that actually added a little bit of that whimsy that we were just talking about to a much more serious end of the world kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, encounter and, and, and climax there. So. So, yeah, no, I, I love uh, people kind of running with it on their own. Same thing, Matt, for you. So you had two uh, you had two abilities to jump in again, not in the way Scott did. Because you were behind the scenes with me, we would sit and we would. I would have a, a general idea like, 
this is my overall strategy. You know, we might even pass some notes, things like that. Like, what did that feel like? Uh, that's not the question because you already kind of answered that. But like, what worked for you? What didn't? And if somebody was going to going to ask someone to come in and be the monster wrangler, right? What do they need to know? Like, what's the what's the 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 quickest, most easy way to onboard somebody into that role without being like, hey, so here's a CR twenty six person, please play them, you know? And it's three pages long. Yeah, that's a uh, great question. I know. Um, I know. It really was. <laughs> so there's two pieces to that. One is coming in. We did have pregame meetings. Yeah. Me- you know, in essence, metagaming, yeah. um, a complete introduction to the monster, who they are. You gave me printouts. Yeah. So I literally was outfitted with character sheet. This is going to be the encounter. This is kind of how it's going to roll, but already, like, you know, you know that I know that these things are flexible and they can go awry very quickly. So, in essence, like, here's maybe some backup plans. They might decide to do this. They might decide to do this. Um, So that was really cool because I was very prepared. There was no... I'm coming in, I've never run anything high level like that. Yeah. Not even close. So uh, being more unfamiliar with the campaign, like Scott coming in kind of fresh right at the end, that was nice having a preparation. The other piece is, like Scott said, um, the ability to be able to run with it a little bit. You gave a Mm -hmm. template. This is kind of how this is going to run. But then here you go. And I was then making, in essence, executive decisions on... Like when you pulled a gun on Little One over dinner. Yeah. Escher. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, making executive decisions that, one, like you had to fly with. Sure. Because I'm part of you, but, like, I didn't necessarily bring you up to speed. Yeah, like, on as what Tony I might... says, live rounds. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and, live I can, people. and I can be kind of volatile with my decisions all of a sudden it'll just i'll just get sparked by something so you gave that flexibility which makes it fun and then on a last piece just overall um it's so nice to be able to come in to campaigns like this i'm only i'm biased i'm only experienced with your campaigns chris's campaigns. sure sure but bonnie did dm one before did an awesome one shot um but in essence, Halloween one, where they were Jason. Oh, that's yeah. right, the Dead Fans Club. Like, oh, I totally yeah. forgot. Oh my God, yeah. Okay, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Grateful to be able to play with characters uh, as I would say high level as all of you, and as you all are very um, like Scott brought out with the voices. There's a lot of role playing, yeah. so it really brings everything up, and then you, you know you add in the scenery. Like coming in on a finale like that, I feel like I was treated to rolling out to like, you know, the Emmys or something. Uh, they look, you know, we were, the looked like we were on YouTube or something, like we're acquisitions. Just corporate, corporate yeah, roll or something yeah that, like, you know, yeah. like Chris said in the beginning, it's one of those things like I've never felt that professional. That's like a professional Dungeons and Dragons scenario right there. Yeah. yeah. And I was able to run legendary characters. 
absolutely. With yeah. all kinds of abilities. So yeah, that um, I don't know if that answers. No, I I thought that was great. Now because question. I really feel like that is such a a really great tool for DMs out there when you have these big things happening to just hand somebody some of the people and they can run them much more effectively and much more much better than you would be able to having to run five or six things at a time plus run everyone else's combat absolutely i think it's a a wildly useful tool and i was glad that you you joined in on it Uh, but like before we get to like any kind of like final thoughts or anything like that is there anything you guys are wondering about about the campaign or or what you would have liked to see kind of thing. not, I mean, we'll get into some of that with the final thoughts, but anything that you're, you want to know from me, from that side, like that you would have. There is one thing. Yeah. That, that, the common kind of theme in it amongst here, even amongst from where does the campaign go and story arcs and monster wranglers and people to help with terrain is that uh, being a DM can be an extremely um, time consuming and stressful experience, especially with something as large as an epic campaign or a finale, and that there are people that can help and that very often the players will tell you where you want to go from 12th on, right? Like they already have these ideas of what they want to do, things that they want to go. So you don't have to take it all on yourself and you can get, you know, you can meet someone like Scott, who's amazing at terrain and an awesome role player, right? And you can let him roll with it and he can add his own things and it adds to the story itself. So it's let the players, it's, you don't have to hold everything. You can get help. You can get monster wranglers and terrain and stuff and concentrate on the parts that really help to make it what it is, you know, prepare what benefits the game or whatever, you know, I'll credit to Mike Shea for that one. But Oh yeah. Mike Shea, big time. Secrets and clues. Secrets. That was my big thing there. Sorry for the long answers there. But. No, no, nothing. Anything else from any of you that, that were in it that were like uh, any questions to my end that, you know, things you were wondering about or would have liked to seen or things of that nature, anything? For myself, I would say you were dazzling a little bit about my backstory. Um, and although from a behind the scene perspective, I needed to kind of invest in it to truly know like what it is that I want to give versus how do I want to go. And you'll spark that interest on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, but within game, I will sometimes lose that you're trying to get me to introduce something. And I don't know from a DM perspective without you flat out asking the player, mm-hmm. like, hey, uh, little one, hey, do you want to share something with the group about this versus a like hint like, I'm not picking what's up a, Like a, a concrete example of it so we can get a better for, for listeners like something. And then I can kind of explain how I may or may not have been able to do that or who knows for example was the lost memory like i know Ah. that you had we had talked about it you know because i wanted to do i wanted that crystal you know and so you worked into the game how to get that memory into the crystal by sacrificing one Mm -hmm. but i wasn't prepared i guess in a sense when you introduced the shopkeep and was like oh so i remember you and you know, and then I didn't know where to take it because um, the rest of the players know Little One's very mysterious to begin with and has no idea mostly of her backstory in any way. Yeah. So as, you know, on your side, when you tried to work that in, 
were you trying to get me to share more or was it more of just a seed, you know, and then as a DM, how, how does the player know if you truly want that to happen? Yeah. Side texting? yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things why I was asking you guys that difference between the published portion of the, the beginning of the campaign and then this final one, because it's, a lot of times I was feeling uh, during the end game, they were great sessions, but a lot of it felt it felt rushed. It felt um, on my end I, like I I didn't set enough like Barovia. One, it's already there, right? The 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 adventure already has built out towns and people and things, right? But it felt like Chris, you had said earlier, it felt immersive. It felt like you had some some ability to move your elbows in it, right? And kind of had some wiggle room. Where the other ones. You go to the Feywild. Now you're jumping to the Plane of Fire. Now you're going to the Four Cities. Now you're fighting Vampire. Now you got to get this. Now you got to go get a MacGuffin. Now you got to fight Vampire. And it was very much like it tracked, but it felt like you guys didn't have enough time. Like, for instance, Tony, when you had to go and melt down the swords to get the the Mage Iron for. Uh, for Gondolin to craft this new sword. Like that whole part in the Plane of Fire portion, the the I had like the Four Cities idea that's that's which I've talked about a little bit in some articles. Um that felt kind of like rushed. Like, okay, we did it. We did the thing, now let's go. It didn't feel as much like for me, narratively satisfying. Uh does that make sense for the end game stuff where it felt like he was like these points, boop. Yeah, but you were trying to give a whole bunch of characters their options to go collect things, to do things. Yeah. And then you had very creative players that was able to figure out things yeah. really quickly at the same that time. That too, that too, so, sure. Tony? So, a little context with that. Uh, we had about five games going at the time. So, <laughs> our, uh, I mean, honestly, so our frequency of play was low. So we had to really try to maximize and squeeze and pack everything we could in every episode. That's why, like, I was, like, you know, grinding my teeth when people would be shopping. I'm like, no, like, we don't have time for this. We're not going to meet again for five weeks. And we're in the middle of a quest. Like, I want to talk to this guy. He's interesting. That's great. He's got a side quest. And write it down. We'll be back. Mm, That's a good point. Yeah. But yeah, I would say that that felt some of the endpoints. It felt a little more like I didn't have the time to devote to really do it, you know. Whereas I think I'm like we've been doing with uh, with Dragon Queen. I'm trying to build more of that in right from the get go. More of that narrative stuff, even on the side, like we had talked about in the one episode, Tony, your the article about, uh, you know, continuing story on outside of the game via text, email, whatever you're doing, Google Docs, um, to give that ability for narrative stuff that doesn't necessarily take up gameplay. And that would have been a great time with the endpoints of Curse of Shot to build that out, I think, a little bit more. Because I definitely had the players for it. All of you guys were very, very uh, focused in on the story and on your characters and what you wanted and what you were going for and all of that. So... All right. Uh, so, I mean, it's probably about that time. I mean, I think we could probably continue to talk about this damn thing for uh, another couple hours. But uh, how about some final thoughts? Um, whatever you kind of want to leave the listeners with. But one thing I would like to see from everybody, like what you loved best and what you loved worst. 
right? Like what you what you didn't like at all and would have changed and what you did like that was whatever, you know, and then whatever other, you know, kind of final thoughts. And Tony and I will kind of kind of wrap it up here. Beth, why don't we start with you? <laughs> OK, um, <laughs> I guess what I like the best is um, able to play. And I thought it was great having um, Scott come in because I, I think it's really cool when you have uh, in life people come in and go on different parts. Uh, so any long campaign, I think it'd be great for DMs to be able to add a player in for one or two rounds because they just, you know, happen to be perfect timing for that. Oh, like um, a palate cleanser. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the cranberry. Add new twist to life, you know. Um, and I guess the worst thing I hated was the fact that I didn't really know how to play cleric very well. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you played cleric perfectly. But what you did was you came headlong into people's expectations of what a cleric Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Which is definitely a thing out there, the heel bot mentality, you know, and you played very against type uh, for, for <laughs> many levels. Yeah. Which I thought was fine. I thought it was absolutely, absolutely fine. But yeah. Also, having to learn a, a class like that. Um, as you were leveling up to really high levels, you know, and the level of spells and things that are there, it can it can become overwhelming, especially if you're not playing, you know, all the damn time for years and years and years. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Matt, what do you think? Final thoughts here. The Monster Wrangler Extraordinaire. Yeah, it was a it was an original uh, experience. I really never thought about playing monsters outside of being a dm which i've yeah, never yeah, really right. done so really original really cool again great because of all the p actual players that were a part of it mm. all playing their parts to a t like personalities nuances role playing very heavy the one really cool piece um for each of those encounters was uh the the dinner with the devil the fact that it was actually a dinner party Everyone showed up. They actually <laughs> sat down and had a meal. It was depicted as a a Barovian dish. It was root vegetables and <laughs> yeah. And I was able to actually role play Rahadin out in a full on way throughout the entire you know entire encounter that I I just really enjoyed myself. Yeah. So being able to do that that was really he, cool. he he answered the door as Rahadin. That was he how did. He did. Yeah, I, the master servant. Yeah. yeah. I actually apologize, Matt. You were not in just two. You also guest starred as a monster wrangler in the uh, the second Christmas game as well. You were playing some of the elves. Oh, yes. When they had to save Santa Claus from vampires' effects. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Again, okay, I, so, yeah. I forgot that one myself. I know. Yeah. It just occurred to me. And then the last one with uh, Cerro Morte and Syriach, they were just legendary characters. So really cool in that respect. Um, that was a big difference from the Dinner with the Devil. Um, and then with the terrain and everything, again, just the full immersion. It was anything that you were great. like, no, nah, don't like it wouldn't want to do that in my own game or or deal with that in another game um no i i can't really identify anything like that okay 
Well, I mean, that's fair. You were, you know, you just hopped in as, as a kind of co-DMing kind of job. Yeah. Overall, it was great. Everyone, I mean, you give space for everyone to do what they do. So some people talk more, some people talk less, some people role play more, some people role play less. And it was a great mix. So no. Okay. Very flavorful. I'll take that. All good stuff. I'll take that all day. (laughs) Scott. What do you think? Final thoughts. What you loved, what you didn't, and anything else that you want to join in. Until uh, we really deep dive into the terrain in, in upcoming episodes. Well, there wasn't anything that I that I dis- disliked or didn't love. Uh, I, I think, uh, actually, uh, Chris touched on this a, a little bit earlier, was your, your willingness and ability to, to delegate things. To, to make it work. I mean, I, I've met DMs in, in, in my my long gaming life who were, you know, for lack of a better word, control freaks, and and they just had to run everything. And uh, and you know, and, and for the most part, it worked. But sometimes it maybe wouldn't. But here, I mean, you were putting on this, you know, mammoth epic with a cast of thousands, and. Um, <laughs> And rather than try to run it all yourself, I mean, you, you delegated things, uh, you know, you had me build train and provide minis and, and then run, run a few NPCs and you had Matt running the monsters and uh, and that, you know, uh, your willingness and flexibility to do that is what made that whole thing work. I mean, if you tried to do the whole thing yourself, I mean, terrain terrain apart, we probably have been, been there till like four in the morning uh, trying to resolve all the combats and stuff and uh and so you know i just you know my hat's off to you uh, for you know your ability to delegate and and make use of other people's talents and uh and and you know you're like the the director of the movie and you had you know all these other the 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 gaffers and the best boys and 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 all these others uh all combined that combined to make the whole thing work and and so you uh you know you orchestrated the whole thing beautifully i thought Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, Thor used to say that all, all, all the time, too. He would talk about, like, the soft skills of DMing and how, as much as you don't want to have to be the manager DM, there are times where those types of skills come into play. And I think that you just made that point, is that, you know, you don't need to control everything and delegating out. You know, many hands makes light work. Uh, and I think that's something really, really useful for DMs to to think about, you know, in their own games if they're if they're not already bond, what your uh, final thoughts, what you loved, what you did not like and never want to see again and whatever <laughs> final thoughts. I never want to see cuteness die. Okay? <laughs> right. And I never want. My I blew that thing apart die. so many times. I know. And I was so sad. <laughs> and then it stopped me from playing for a while. And all my party members hated me for a hot second, but maybe not hate. That's a strong word. Um, uh, honestly, you know, uh, within this campaign, I truly found how I like to play as a player. Um, yeah, definitely. And how I connect to the uh, player in order to truly embrace it versus just feel like I'm just playing a game. And also look forward to the game too, because you want to do things as that person. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. You definitely found that key for the for that role. Yeah. And so with all her shenanigans, and, and honestly, this is the first game that um, I played with Tony. So this game well, was the intro true. for Tony, which is another reason why Little One kind of grabbed on to Hulk, because in my own personal self, I want to make sure people feel comfortable 
at the table, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it kind of like morphed into the BFF situation just because it was the first time I've ever met them and let alone play with them. So, um, so it is a lot of positives and a lot of wonderful things. Um, I absolutely love when Scott joined in the last two games that he brought little one and cuteness mini. So it truly (laughs) encompassed everything uh, to full circle. Cause even though I had the pictures, you know, like to see them. No, we'll talk about it more, but just as a, as a, primer uh so scott had literally so anybody who opens up the monster manual go to homunculus and the little flying pot one scott had to literally kit bash something together by hand to make and, it's and literally made it, it look like a damn homunculus like, yeah. yeah so you know that was extremely exciting especially for the first game back since thorn had passed so you know having this amazing terrain as well as our, our, our miniatures to kind of bring forward including thorns and shannons which yeah, we were yeah. able to give but then just the way that you brought honor to shannon and thorin uh for the exit of the game mm. even though it wasn't over it was very beautiful it was very touching and it always felt like he still had a place in the game even though they weren't there mm. so so lots and lots and lots of positives um my only negative is uh don't kill cuteness. In the yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Chris, I want to get you next, but real quick for anybody out there listening, I know a lot of listeners, uh, big Critical Role fans, uh, and I've been watching um, the Prime animated series, The Legend of Vox Machina. It occurred to me, we were watching it the other night, and so Hawk and Little One, everybody can understand the relationship, and it is the relationship between Grog, Strongjaw, and Pike, Trickfoot. The difference is, is flip the personalities. So little one riding on the shoulders has the personality of Grog and the big gigantic one has the personality of Pike. So it's a, it's a, it's fun. So if you watch that interplay, you will understand what we did for 35 sessions or more. So uh, Chris, what do you think? Final thoughts here, what you love, didn't and uh, anything else. What I loved, uh, Curse of Strahd campaign, uh, USDM, uh, being able to play a knight uh, that ends up, uh, you know, reforming an order and all this other things. Like it was a uh, everything you'd kind of want out of a D&D campaign, like epic like that way. And I think, I mean, as far as not like, I think kind of uh, like Tony says a lot, like it, the, the amount of time, like it was, I mean, it was truly epic in scale too, which I think lends itself to a lot, but so many years it takes so long to get there and stuff like that and you can there's a like to keep the um to keep your interest going through the whole time it's difficult i thought you did a really good job but i would i mean the one thing i would say is it's it's it was it was long right it was you know i'm like, like to get there right away but i would say like but i mean it in a way it kind of served itself to be long but i mean that would be my only complaint was that it was a massive campaign but i mean beautifully executed so um really awesome Rob. tony what do you think buddy final thoughts well i gotta tell you uh, i loved the characters in the environment that's what brought me to the table hawk was one of is my favorite 5e character and i love erasmus so and i think that's saying something and despite everything that happened i was really gratified and happy we were able to bring the campaign to a close because in plenty of situations like that everyone's like well you know somebody 
you know, unfortunately, tragically passed and we're, we're all done. And then, you know, here we are two and a half, almost three years into this. And we would have just, you know, swept it under the rug and let it be a dusty book on the shelf we never got back to. So that was really fantastic, especially the way that it was closed. It was very satisfying and not cheap in it anyway. Uh, the only thing I would have done differently is when we hit our conclusion, we sealed Vampire, wrapped it up, and it was a fade to black, kind of like the Sopranos end. Yeah. So, like, we won. <laughs> but then, then you know, I mean, it, it ended, like, really, like, I mean, of course, you were probably exhausted. You're like, oh, I went on it, Matt. You're like, yeah. Old. But, uh. I would have, like, you know, circled back and maybe going to throw in some emails out or something that affected. It was a long session, but, like, hey, big end, Scar, you went and did this. They put it in a group once we could all see it. Look at, like, the credits rolling, and, oh, yeah. and the brother knights went off and did this. And yeah. maybe little one found that unicorn she always wanted. And, you know, Fenris never gave up the search for, for baby Walter, so forth and so on. Yeah, no, definitely a nice epilogue would have been would have been kind of fun too. You know, it's it's some of those things, right? Well, I took it as that just allows that for future. That too, absolutely, yeah. Like I kind of got the sense that a lot of these characters they're so in the world now that like they're gonna come back out in some of our All Star games. So, so the campaign's um, not done. The campaign's never done. Yeah. So (laughs) my final thoughts, uh, as I said in our initial wrap up, this uh, this was. Uh, my favorite campaign so far, we will see what happens with Dragonlance, though, because that's turning out pretty awesome with this group again. But favorite campaign, like, because I was really able to begin to really hone what my style is and what I want out of gameplay, while also being challenged on adjusting to some of those things. The second half of it... Um, there were definitely some things I would have changed. As I said, I would have loved a little more immersion, a little more of the world feeling real, especially in these outer planes and in the Feywild and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, as Tony said, frequency of play uh, does it. I will say on a note, too, I mean, we, you know, we obviously started the episode with it. Um, I will say as 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 simple as it might seem or as it doesn't matter, you know, when you game long enough, I think you'll all understand it. But. The last game that we had uh, in the Feywild when they, at the Court of Stars was Thorin's last game uh, in, in Curse of Strahd. And I was able to – it just worked out that it was his conclusion, his story arc conclusion. Like, and things in the game happened that just – I remember him saying like it was a really fun game. He was really happy that he could do some of these things. And I thought that that was a nice bow. You know, it was a small bow in the grand scheme of things, but it was a nice bow because when you game long enough, you know the connections that are forged with that. So anyway, uh, we're going to be back talking about this stuff a lot more. Uh, It's probably not the last time you're going to hear about Curse of Strahd because we're going to have plenty of examples when you guys uh, send in your uh, questions to us. Uh, So, you know, the phone lines are back open again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, to every single one of you out there for everything that you did and for giving us the time. So uh, we can't wait to be back. Uh, It's going to be a little bit uh, here and there. We're going to have some special guests on, uh, things of that nature, as we kind of work out uh, next chapter of Three Wise DMs. And with that, I'm going to let Tony and I's erstwhile leader take us out. 
And to all of you listening at home, thank you very much for listening to another extra long episode, an extra special episode of Three Wise DMs. Now, this didn't come from a listener question, but you may have questions that come out of this. If you do, please feel free to send them in to us. You can send them in to threewisedms at gmail.com. You can go to our website and put them in the What's Your Problem field, or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're active in all those places. And really, the point of this podcast is to help you, to help other DMs with their problems. So if there's anything we can help you solve or help you talk through, we would love to, we'd love to hear what you'd like to hear us talk about. Yeah. If you like what you're listening to, please hit the five-star rating button in your podcast platform. That really helps us get, you know, get, get more exposure, helps more people find us. And we just appreciate that support. And yeah, if you want to share it or, or, or recommend us to friends, we would love that too. That's it for this week. We'll talk to you next time on Three Wise DMs. <laughs>